Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon, Phoenix, and welcome to Legitimate. I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton with X-Firm, everything that you need for financial transaction planning. And I'm Mike Poulton, your co-host with Poulton and Arroyan PLLC. And today with us, we've got a fun topic, health insurance. We're going to cover the fun world of healthcare, health insurance, and everything related to that industry. And with us, we have a very awesome guest, Christine Castle, owner of Benefits by Design, a health insurance and employee benefits agency located in Tempe, Arizona. We're practically neighbors. My office is like up the street from yours. So, well, Christine, you are super impressive. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, thank you very much, Rochelle and Mike, for having me on your show. I'm a native in Tempe, and yes, our offices are just down the street from each other. Love Tempe and would always want to be involved. We found each other through the Tempe Chamber and been very involved with the Chamber. It's been very successful for my business. Um, what my company, Benefits by Design, does is I help employers find uh, the perfect medical, dental, vision, life, dental, disability, all those employee benefit types, um, the f- perfect plan to keep their employees happy and also to help you know, provide culture for those companies, as well as a competitive price and uh, benefits that everybody desires within the firm. And we don't only just stop there with finding that plan, we help service it. Uh, So mainly we work with small businesses and we are like an extension of the HR department, which with those of us that have small businesses, we don't typically have an HR (laughs) person until maybe we get about 30 employees. So we tend to be that until, you know, you grow and you provide, you know, you get an HR person, then we work directly with that. So we can help out your employees with anything from claims, benefits, questions on doctors, you know, billing issues and uh, ongoing things uh, throughout the year. And we've been in business 22 years, um, very active in the community and really just um, love that as well because it also feeds um, my soul and also it really helps (laughs) to meet people that help your business grow along the way. I love it. I love it. Especially now, you know, in the industry, in the world, the healthcare industry is such a hot topic. Um, a lot of people are really concerned about what healthcare is going to look like in the future, what all the changes are going to be, if there are going to be any. And healthcare in general, I think the number one concern is cost. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> for, you know, most people, if, you know, they're self-employed, um, one of the biggest hurdles they see is unaffordable healthcare coverage. And that's what leads to employers offering group coverage and group benefit packages because it's substantially cheaper. Is that true? That is very true. And here in Arizona, we typically don't have that great of an individual market if you are self-employed or just working for a company that doesn't offer insurance. All the plans that are out there are HMO-type plans. Um, You're very restricted to the doctors that you go to and hospitals. Or else you can get some of these MedShare plans, which might not have as much thorough coverage as you would want. Um, And they are more expensive, which, you know, you find odd. But there are a few people that can get a subsidy on those plans if their income is of a lower level. But outside of that, um, your average worker would not be eligible for those subsidies. And that is where the group plans definitely, if you can put, you know, just two people together in a company, um, your rates are typically going to be better and you'll have more selection of PPO plans, HSAs, you know, lower deductibles. I remember when I was first starting our law firm, we did not have enough people involved to get a group plan. And this was when ACA was fairly new. And I went out looking for a plan that I could buy as private insurance to meet my needs. And I was a mostly healthy young person. 
but I had recently been dealing with a, a pretty serious kidney stone issue, so I thought there was a good chance I might have some real healthcare expenses coming up, and I wanted the best insurance I could get. Completely disappointing selection of plans. There was hardly anything I could buy that would actually cover my needs and really provide top quality affordable care. It just wasn't available. Yeah, and affordable, I know, I love how it's called the Affordable Care Act because um, anything about it, it's not affordable. (laughs) It adds affordable as we would like. Um, And you're you're definitely right. I think today we do have some more choices. Um, Price is still a problem. And I honestly have to think that the smaller businesses are one that are hit harder. Um, They just, when you have a couple employees, you're just based on the the age of those employees. Um, They don't rate on health anymore, which is good. Um, But really your rates you know, can be substantial until you get a lot of employees that balances out with young people, older people, then the rates tend to get a little bit better. But you have more selection now than than you did when it first came out. So Absolutely. you'd have better luck, I think, Mike, finding a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps so. Fortunately, now we don't need to because uh, Rochelle and I have a group policy through her firm. Uh, she's got enough people on the books now that we're able to do that. And it really is good coverage. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's been great. So let's go back to vocabulary. You hear PPO... HSA, and all of the fun terminology. Let's just run that through that real quick. What is an HMO policy? Okay, so HMO, yeah, and I've already used that and assumed everybody knew what that <laughs> meant. Um, HMO stands for Health Maintenance Organization. Um, between me and you, basically, the difference between an HMO and a PPO is you typically have to get referrals, and you have to stay in network with your plan. You cannot go to an outside provider. Um, let's say you wanted to go to Mayo Clinic for something serious that wasn't on the plan, you, you just can't go. You'll have to pay 100% of it if you did go, unless it's an emergency. If it's an emergency, you can go out of network. So a PPO plan allows you to go in and out of network. Um, you typically pay more if you go out of network, um, and you don't have to have a referral. So, which is nice, you're saving the time going to one doctor appointment directly to the specialist instead of going to your general practice doctor and get referred to a specialist. Um, and that's it stands for preferred provider organization. So typically, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but most of us like the PPOs. Um, and the HMOs were a big deal back in the day. It, you had like zero copays, $10 copays, um, you know, what? yeah, which isn't around <laughs> anymore. And uh, so people think they typically like the HMOs. Um, and then I think people got spoiled wanting their own doctors. Now HMOs aren't even um, that much of a savings. And and that's what you're seeing on the individual side. If you are a sole provider, that's all you can have in the marketplace is is an HMO plan. Um, POS is another one, which is point of service. It really is like a PPO. So don't even worry about that one. Um, HSA, um, health savings account, that's a really awesome one. If, If you know how to use it, it doesn't work for everybody. But as an employer, it's something that you can contribute money to a savings plan for your employees pre-tax, and your employee could also contribute money pre-tax. And if you ever leave that firm, if you are an employee, that money that you're putting into the savings account is yours to keep. Um, But nowadays, premiums are so expensive, people definitely don't have a lot of money to put away, you know, into an extra savings account to plan for that. So it really works when the employer possibly gives to the the savings account because not alone that you have the savings account, but you also have the part that you have to pay for the premium, just like you would if it was a PPO or an HMO. Yeah, there's so many different healthcare options. I think one of the biggest problems that we see is dealing with health insurance and people not really understanding how to navigate that when they've got their card. You know, you call, you make a doctor's appointment and 
you know, they ask, what kind of insurance do you have? I don't know, United, Blue Cross. Okay, cool. We accept that. And you get there. And it's like, oh, just kidding. No, you're out of network. <laughs> I think Rochelle's run into this problem, right? <laughs> or we all have. <laughs> I think everyone has. I've probably just seen it maybe a couple hundred times in the last year or so. Um, dealing with health insurance from a consumer perspective, you know, people want us to get involved in the health insurance disputes and claims. And unfortunately, there's no like real arena for attorneys in health insurance disputes. It tends to just be all based on the consumer. So from someone who is trying to navigate the medical insurance side as a person, what do you think their best course of action could be? Do they call their agent? Do they call their broker? Who do they call? And all those are very good points. Um, that is probably the most complicated thing about um, our system is how to actually use it correctly. So um, at most of your agents, which they should do, and if they're not, you definitely need to find another agent. But if you have a claim and you have something that you don't think is paid, um, paid properly, then that agent should work with you directly with the insurance company. Because you can always call, let's just pick on United Healthcare if you have a benefit summary, you don't understand um, the explanation of benefits on how a claim was paid, you can call them. Um, and if they say, oh, well, it's just not covered, and, and, and then they stop at that. And you're always talking <laughs> to someone different. And by the way, you've had to wait on hold like an hour. Yeah, 20 minutes <laughs> to talk to that particular person. You didn't get the answer you wanted. So we have our clients send their um, explanation of benefits or their bills directly to us. And we try to work with it and get as much information as we can. And then we share that back to the individual that's having the issue. Um, but the first thing that I think people should do, which is is so hard, is if you are having a planned surgery or anything, I know typically your doctors will be the ones saying, let's pick your anesthesiologist. Here's the hospital. They make all the arrangements for you. Try as a consumer to get involved with that because, you know, if you can make sure that facility is in network, that doctor's in network, of course. Um, unfortunately, with the anesthesiologist, we do find a lot of them are out of network. So yep. that, that is not even something that you can really try to help out with. Um, but as much as you can do on the front end prior to the surgery, but as an insurance broker, I can laugh because my sister even um, had an issue and she had an emergency surgery. And of course, the emergency room doctor, you have to have surgery, right? Broker wrist, hiking of all things. And uh, emergency room doctor was out of network, which you'll find in a lot of these hospitals, they contract out with the emergency room doctors. So even she was fighting a bill for like $3,000 for the surgeon. So what I can do or an agent can do, and you can do as an individual, you can write an appeals letter. And you're right. Is this something you as an attorney wants to get involved with? I'm, I'm not, unless they try everything and everything and they have a real lot of bills stacked up, it would be worth your involvement. But uh, you write, I'm, I want to say sometimes we write two or three appeal letters and there's sometimes these out of network doctors, there's nothing we can do. Um, last year, the state of Arizona, the Department of Insurance got involved and they do have an area, like if you've already gone through the appeals, you're not having luck, they can try to work with um, if it's out of network doctor claims. So that's the Arizona Department of Insurance that can also get involved. But between me and you, you know, I'm not seeing that there's a, a lot more. of change or difference that happens there. And then sometimes the um, insurance companies have a, uh, I don't know the best way, like a, a difficult claim situation. Like they have a area where they can kind of work on that claim as well. But sometimes what people will do is they'll really just try to work directly with the doctor after they've tried a couple things and get that cost reduced. You know, just being like, hey, if I pay you, you know, 
I can pay you this much today. I don't have $4,000. I have 2000 And that's, but if you do wind up having a claim and in, as long as you're paying monthly and it can be as low as $10 a month to the provider, um, they'll take your money and they will not send you to collections as long as a payment is being made. And that's, I don't know if you find anything different on the legal side. I find that something different all the time. <laughs> so that used to be the case, but then all of a sudden these accounts started popping up on credit reports like crazy. Like, oh, I thought it wouldn't go to collections if I just paid, you know, $50 a month to the oh. hospital or to the medical provider. And that was true. But now there's just no incentive for them to not report it because it gets sent to a third-party collection agency so early on. So usually if the account is still with the uh, service provider and you make payment arrangements with them, usually they won't send you to collections. But there are some that just do it routinely. And it's really unfortunate. You know, people always want to know, like, how can I prevent this from being on my credit? And it's like, pay it. That's really your only option. And sometimes it's important to note that the medical provider doesn't necessarily know you received a bill. So in a lot of times when people have insurance, uh, they have their own billing department. You know, they've got their billers, their medical billers, uh, their own support staff, and they just kind of assume that these bills are being paid. And so when it gets sent to a third party for collections or you're getting 30 or 40 medical bills that say this isn't a bill, this is a bill, pay this amount, don't pay that amount, pay this amount instead – Usually the person that gave you the treatment has no idea that that's happening, especially if you had a poor outcome or subsequent follow-up. So just keep that in mind when you're you're talking to your doctor or nurse or medical assistant that they probably have no idea what you're talking about when it comes to the medical bill. So be nice to them and uh, try to just remember that because... Usually, if you can get a human on the phone and explain your financial situation early on, they'll work with you. But uh, don't assume that they know that this is happening and that you're getting all these bills or even that they know what the amount is. Most of the time when they bill to insurance, they just assume it's been paid. So they don't know you got a bill for $27,000. Just uh, it's usually a, a sticker shock for them as well. So most of the times they will work with you if they're private companies. And uh, sometimes they don't. (laughs) And I'm going to agree with you because I actually have some people um, and they just get frustrated when they see a bill. Let's say it's $27,000 and they won't do anything with it. And they think it's going to go away. And it doesn't. And I'm sure that's what you all deal with in your um, careers, (laughs) fighting those. But um, as much as you can get involved, the second that you get a bill, if you don't think it's right and you have somewhere to send it, either HR department or an agent that your company is working with, um, try to match that up with your explanation of benefits, which is from the insurance company, just to say, hey, did they even get it? Did they even process it? Because a lot of times you'll get a bill and you're right. And I'm going to pick on some lab companies. Is, yes. And I'm like <laughs> LabCorp, uh, an example. Biggest the second offender. you go, you've got a bill from LabCorp and then the insurance company has a bill. And, and there was many years ago, they were almost receiving some possible double payments because you just pay it and you're like, oh, it's $50, not a big deal. I'll just pay it. But the insurance company never received it. So... You know, you obviously didn't get that money sent back if the insurance company paid it too. So it really is important to kind of compare it to those explanation of benefits. And a lot of people don't even know like how to like all that stuff gets overwhelming. I'm like, get a file, put all your bills in there relating to a surgery, put the explanation of benefits in there and just try to, I don't know, put on Excel spreadsheet and try to see what's paid, what's not. And and make it easier for yourself because it does get very overwhelming, especially if it's a major health issue and you're dealing with either someone who's deceased you know, maybe you're not capable to even handle this and another family member's handling it. So 
Yes, that happens quite a bit. I think the biggest problem is when people get that bill, they just assume insurance is going to pay it. And sometimes the insurance company just didn't get it. A lot of small offices these days, especially if they only have one or two locations, do not submit insurance claims on your behalf. They expect the consumer to do that. <laughs> so, and there's um, a timely filing fee. Like if your insurance company doesn't get it, like within a year, they're they're not going to pay it. So. Ever. <laughs> so it's really important, you know, that before you start at a new facility that you're you're reading those financial agreements because if it says that they're not going to bill to your insurance company, go somewhere else. <laughs> like uh, don't deal with the headache because sometimes they cut checks to you. And I've seen that in the past, especially with behavioral health. Um, they'll cut checks to the um, directly to the patient and then the patient's supposed to give the check to the uh, endorse it over to the facility that they went to. I have no idea why they do that. They're just setting people up for, for failure because it looks like it's reimbursement for medical costs when it's actually payment of medical costs. <laughs> Anything to add, Mike? Well, I, as we were discussing earlier that that some providers are completely unaware of the billing issues going on in their offices, I've experienced that myself uh, probably more often than not. A few of my providers, I'm not going to name any names here, but Actually, all three of the specialists I've seen in the last couple of years have had real difficulties processing insurance payments and billings. Dealing with the back office sort of aspects of that has been pretty challenging and didn't go smoothly at all. And in each of those instances, the providers were completely unaware that there was any kind of a billing situation going on. Uh, in one case, um, I had a provider I was seeing routinely uh, like every every two weeks for an ongoing treatment. And they weren't billing me and they weren't billing my insurance for like six months. And then I got a collections call from a third-party collections agency that they had turned over the account to. Well, I've been going into this office happily walking up to the desk and paying my copay and receiving my treatment every two weeks for months and didn't hear a word about any outstanding balance or any kind of an issue. And somehow... Without sending any invoices, it got turned over to a third-party collection agency. Their office was completely unable to explain it either. They had no idea. There was literally no one I could talk to who actually knew what had happened with those billings. And the situation never actually got resolved. I paid the collection agency, but then it happened again. They still did not send me bills for services. And they still did not tell me what I owed when I went up to the counter every time I showed up at that office. Interestingly, that provider left that practice group shortly thereafter. <laughs> <laughs> he, he needed better back office. I do see that a lot with, um, but and sometimes a lot of the providers, they'll uh, just take a chiropractic. Sometimes they don't want to deal with the insurance companies. And they say, hey, instead of the copay of $75 you'd normally pay me, why don't you pay me $50 cash? Then I don't have to file it. And then, yeah. uh, and then, uh, and so then it's not filed and hopefully taken care of. But what happens in that case, that might not be the best choice for you to do because um, as an individual, every copay that you're paying now, whether it's for prescriptions or uh, a copay for office visits, it all accumulates this out-of-pocket maximum. And if you're paying this person cash, that's not going to that maximum. So you're not getting any uh, record of that uh, adding to your full, if, especially if you're like, needing surgery or something, you could have met that maximum sooner. So, but if, you know, so there are advantages and disadvantages of that. So I'm not sure that's the best way, but if it's enough savings, 
then it might be worth doing. But And there's a lot of those um, concierge-type doctors now, which I know you guys have heard of, where it's, hey, I'll pay 3000 a year, and they're kind of on call. You get the first appointments, and, and that's totally separate to your insurance. But, you know, I find a lot of people like doing that because then they feel security. But then I'm like, wow, but you're paying for health insurance too. <laughs> so, Yeah. I but, mean, it just depends too on like scheduling and what you can afford and you know, it's so funny in this world of health insurance, there's all these little niches out there. You know, there's companies that do the concierge now. There's, you know, everyone seems to have their own health plan. Like even if you go to urgent care, you know, there's like a monthly subscription. So you get reduction on certain procedures that you do in office, but you're still paying health insurance and they still bill your insurance. And it's just, it's all kind of a mess right now. So for those of you who are wondering you know, what your options are for healthcare and health insurance. And is it really that bad? Yes, it's really that bad. It's kind of a mess. And there aren't any really good options other than making sure you keep copies of everything, making sure you start that Excel spreadsheet, um, having a tracking system, especially for those of you who are receiving any kind of state benefit. You know, if you're on access or all tax or um, any government type of benefit, you really want to make sure that you're not getting triple billed because that happens every now and again. <laughs> uh, it gets pretty complicated pretty quick. So if you're ever confused, there's tons and tons and tons of online resources for people um, trying to figure out their medical bills. Um, and then, of course, you should always contact your insurance agent and see if they can provide you with any guidance. <laughs> and then the one thing, a lot of um, those of you that have coverage, there's a lot of things on your plan that you might not know would be covered. Like you might not know that, hey, telehealth is free. Like I can do a <laughs> FaceTime with my doctor and I don't have to take my child if they've got pink eye or a lot of these things are free. There's a lot of wellness benefits. Maybe yes. you can earn HSA dollars or you can get some deductible credit for. So really also when you do those annual meetings and someone like myself comes in, I know everybody falls asleep or, you know, something better to do than listen about health insurance, but try to understand your benefits so you're making sure you're getting the most for what you're paying for. You're leaving money on the table if you're forgetting to file those <laughs> claims. Um, it's like with any supplemental insurance, you know, a lot of people will pay for Affleck or any of those other companies, but then forget to file those claims. So they've been paying on them for years and years and years. And it's just automatically deducted from their paycheck every month, every paycheck. And it's like, when was the last time you filed a claim? <laughs> yeah, and a lot of those Aflac policies have wellness things. So if you yes. have a cancer policy or, or any of the policies, if you're going to get your physical, which is free now on your health plans, Aflac will pay you like $50. So you make money by going to get a physical on some of those coverages. Yes. So, so um, don't leave money on the table. Know your <laughs> benefits. Most employers are happy to either have them. And if you're not using them, but you're wondering what your options are, talk to them about it. Talk to your HR departments. Most of the time, just dealing with medical bills, I think can just be really, really overwhelming. So transitioning into that, the medical bill side, what your options are for actually paying them. These days, the trend that I've seen since about 2018 was most companies want 80% of the medical bill in a lump sum. So Back when I started dealing with this in 2012, I would see maybe an ambulance visit being or an ambulance trip costing around three to 500 bucks. They would settle with you for about 30, 40%. They would do payments, no big deal. Well, now your ambulance costs about 1500 bucks and they don't settle. They want it in full, in a lump sum right now and forever in the future. And last year was the first year I started to see 
lawsuits over medical collections. So accounts that had gone to third-party medical collections, they've started to sue. And in other states, it's become a much bigger issue because we already have a lot of default judgments in Arizona based on credit card debt, but we're going to see a lot more based on medical debt in the next couple of years. So if you have a lot of medical bills and you're kind of wondering what your options are and you're thinking about pennies on the dollar, that is not a thing. That's gone. There, you don't have a choice. Like these companies are just not willing to settle at all because they think everyone's made of money right now. So if you've got health insurance, it's probably cost about 10% of your income. And then you have your $6,000 deductible and then all of the stuff that you pay for that doesn't count towards your deductible. And then of course, if you have something serious medically happen, um, you were already broke by the time you finish paying for the insurance for the year. So we're probably going to see a lot more medical bankruptcies. That's really the future of how all of this is going to culminate because people just don't have the funds. So if you're feeling the pinch and kind of wondering what your options are, talk to an attorney, see what kind of long-term planning you can do to sort of offset that liability. But realistically, you probably are looking at um, a medical bankruptcy if you've got more than $20,000 in medical collections, especially if they're going to sue you. So just keep that on the horizon. I know it's not the best news, but that's the state of affairs. (laughs) <laughs> I do have some clients that occasionally will ask and they'll say, I don't want to pay for health insurance. It doesn't cover anything anyways. And they get frustrated. But I'm like, okay, it's but way it's better. for the what if, you know, let something major happens. It, it could be like, I mean, you know, you can't get in and out of the emergency room for less than 5000 for nope. a bee sting, anything. But let's say a major accident happens. You're like, I mean, probably 50000 100000 500000 to a million. Yeah. More likely. <laughs> yes. And, and I, you know, and a lot of, yes. <laughs> so um, truly, even though you have a high deductible or some that, those typically cap off if you have a health insurance policy, high deductible, high out-of-pocket max. Potentially, if it's in network, the most you could pay would be, you know, at the highest level, like $8,150 um, for the entire year. That would be much better um, to be having to pay claims on than Half a million thousand. Oh, if the question is, should I get health insurance since healthcare is already expensive? Yes, get health insurance. Of course, you should get health insurance. It's way cheaper than paying for any of this stuff out of pocket. Going to the emergency room for someone who's not insured is not unusual to see a $9,000 bill come across my desk. When I see little kids, you know, um, medical bills, you're, it gets outrageous. Um, five, six grand for, you know, Phoenix Children's Hospital, a couple thousand for an ambulance. And then you've got all the pediatric care, which is super specialized. And you're dealing with people who don't know you're getting all these bills. When it comes down to it, the provider just doesn't know. And if they did, they would work with you. <laughs> and, and totally digging into your business a little bit. But I mean, when do you recommend maybe looking at a medical malpractice type to come in to talk to you to get a consult? Like, hey, I think this wasn't handled appropriately. Is it just you can come for a consult or when do you recommend that? Or- well, I, I think that's a very separate issue from health insurance and billing. We get a lot of calls from people who have concerns about the way they were billed for their medical care um, or some aspect of the business process. And that is not a malpractice issue. That is not something that a malpractice attorney will deal with. And as Rochelle mentioned earlier, there isn't really a clear role for attorneys in that process right now. And the reason for that tends to be that there just isn't enough at stake in most of these billing disputes for it to justify getting an attorney involved. And perhaps even more importantly, usually 
the insurance companies are correct. Whatever the situation is that involves a, a patient getting a huge and objectively unreasonable bill at the end of their treatment, usually that is in compliance with the terms of that policy. Usually it's because your insurance isn't very good. Uh, maybe it's the best you can get, but the bottom line is there, there is no good way right now to absolutely ensure that you're not going to end up with a gigantic medical bill. Even if you have what qualifies these days as good insurance coverage, you can still end up owing a huge amount of money out of a medical situation. And there's nothing anybody can do about that because those are simply the terms of the policy and the, the deal you made with the insurance company is that you owe a whole bunch of money for your medical care because the insurance isn't great. So under those circumstances, uh, that's not a legal issue that either my firm or, or any other firm can really deal with uh, if the billing was done correctly. Now, malpractice instead comes out of bad outcomes that are the result of a doctor's mistake. If someone has a medical issue and does not get successfully treated for it, uh, perhaps it's not diagnosed properly, perhaps the surgery that's done to correct an issue turns out to have been completely off base, was uh, misdiagnosed before surgery and did the wrong procedure, um, perhaps uh, test results are misinterpreted, um, all kinds of things happen, wrong medications given for a condition the breadth of malpractice that can occur is very wide. But typically, unless it results in a serious injury or a death, uh, it's not something that you would be able to pursue. And the reason for that is that it's very complicated and expensive to sue doctors and hospitals. And the reason that it's complicated and expensive is because they are specially protected by law specifically to make it difficult to sue them for their mistakes. Whereas you can go out and sue anybody else, uh, those of us here in the studio, the owners of this building, uh, anybody, you can sue for a broad variety of, of negligent acts. Uh, if you say that they hurt you because they did something that was uh, careless stupid, poorly advised, whatever it may be, you can sue that person for negligence. And if you prove your case to a jury, you can collect money from them for the injuries that they caused to you. Not really with doctors and hospitals. Doctors and hospitals get special protection so that in order to sue them, you have to get other doctors who are exactly the same kind of doctor with exactly the same qualifications to say that they made one very specific mistake that only a doctor can make. And that because of that mistake, you were specifically severely injured as a result. And because of all the special evidence you've got to bring and the special procedures you have to use for these cases, if you don't have more than about half a million dollars in clearly provable damages, and that is a serious, permanent, life-altering injury, it's probably not going to be cost-effective to sue your doctor or hospital. So those are the kinds of cases we end up looking for. And what we find is that, on the whole, most people who have been injured by bad health care cannot sue over it. Most people who get bad care, who are hurt by a doctor, who get bad outcomes that were preventable, there's usually something wrong with that case that makes it so that we can't actually pursue it more often than not. And that's very unfortunate, but that's the system we've got. So as a malpractice attorney, I end up sifting through huge numbers of potential cases from people who got bad outcomes and are upset with their health care. And many of those people were legitimately hurt by real mistakes, but either they weren't hurt enough or the evidence isn't clear enough to prove it, or because of the way the medical specialties are all divided up, we don't think we can get an expert who's going to be willing to stand up in court and, and stick up for our client. And as a result, we end up taking 
roughly 5% of the cases that we consult on. So that's the situation. Wow. Um, it's very difficult to hold healthcare accountable these days. That's a downer. <laughs> it is. It is a downer. <laughs> I won't ask any more questions. So, anything positive, though, to say about healthcare, Mike? Oh, geez. I, I have a hard time being positive about healthcare these days. You know, just in the time that I've had my practice open, uh, our costs have gone up tremendously. The effectiveness of insurance has gone down. The quality of care has gone down. Um, honestly, I don't think we're in a very positive state with our healthcare industry right now. Uh, there are always good things that you can say. Certainly, there are good doctors out there. Medical technology is better than it has ever been before. There are all kinds of new and emerging treatments. Uh, we can treat more diseases now than we ever could in the past. Those are good things. Um, unfortunately, hate to be a downer, those have their own downsides. Costs are going up partly just because we have more advanced care now. Back in the 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, there were plenty of complicated medical situations that we simply could not treat then that we can treat now, where you've got some shot at getting some kind of benefit today that you never could have before. The problem is uh, that new drug costs $400,000, or that new surgery is going to cost you $1.2 million, uh, and it's experimental, so your insurance refuses to cover it. I don't know. We, we get these benefits from progressing technology, but we've made our healthcare so complicated at this point, scientifically and industrially, that it's simply not affordable to do the newest and best thing for every patient. And that's where we end up with, with some of these arguments about how we can move to a nationalized healthcare system and how we can improve uh, the effectiveness of our industry and, and insurance when the costs are just fundamentally so high for some of these treatments. Yeah, and I don't mean to be a downer with you on that, but you're you're right. There's I've been in this industry 30 years, and it has definitely changed a lot. But the advancements, the ability to to cure, to get people out of the hospital faster, or the drugs that are available is is awesome. But we are all paying for that, so it's and everything they want to say, hey, this should be covered, this should be free. Everybody has to pay for that, even though we might not need that particular benefit. That's definitely the way it is. And uh, the nice thing that I know one of the things that you didn't mention, but that the fact that pre-existing conditions are covered is awesome because when I started my yes. business, I can honestly say, I used to talk to people on the phone. They're like, I'm currently pregnant. I'm like, I can't currently put you on an individual plan because they're like, what? You know, so it's then we, so it was, or if someone was just a diabetic taking insulin, it's, they couldn't be on, they would not be covered. So simple things that we all could potentially deal with were, you know, I couldn't find a plan. So we now have options for everybody, and that has also increased the cost, which is hard. And I don't think that's anything they're going to take away because, of course, we hear the news, and and and, and that, that is awesome because that is an important quality to have. So if someone is uninsured, everything that was wrong with them before would be covered. But just it, all these things increase our cost, and nothing is free. Um, and the technology is a great thing. Also a little scary. <laughs> you know, technology isn't always like working, you know, to its uh, advantage, but, you know, we're, but we're getting more, you know, more and more on that with the growth of that as well. So that's another thing that insurance kinds of have had to, you know, add cost towards is improving all these technologies and everything. And so I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a downer with you, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's tough. It's, you know, and it's not, it's not something easy, but we just have to look at the positives about it. Yeah, absolutely. I And 
not to uh, come to the defense of insurance companies too much here, but uh, <laughs> it is true. Decisions have to be made about cost effectiveness of care under some circumstances. Um, a lot of the, the new drugs and treatments that are coming out are often being called biologics, drugs that ends, end typically with MAB or another one of those uh, abbreviations that indicates that it's an immune system uh, modulating drug or a drug that interacts with your antibodies. And those tend to be extraordinarily expensive to produce. There just is not a real good way to make those on a commercial scale. Plus, the development costs, since these are all new drugs, have to be recovered at some point. And the problem we see is uh, many of those are great treatments for a huge variety of things. They're being used for cancer treatment, for autoimmune disorders, for all kinds of different diseases across a broad spectrum of problems. But they're outrageously expensive and sometimes not all that effective for those conditions. So people are running into these situations with their insurance companies where their doctor says, well, we could try this drug. Uh, it may work for you. It provides a benefit for a significant percentage of people with this kind of a condition. And the insurance company says, we're not going to pay that. It's going to cost you $300,000 and it's a 50-50 shot. It's going to do anything. So we're not going to pay that. And it ends up on the news. They end up in court. But the bottom line is we can't shell out that kind of money for every single person who has a problem we might be able to fix. The money has to come from somewhere, and the work of the healthcare system has to be done by someone. Uh, the challenge we all have to figure out as a country, I think, is what kind of a system we're going to use to sort that out and pay for it ultimately. I think overall, just looking at the healthcare system we have, is it's overly complicated. Very there overly are, complicated. There are a lot of moving parts and pieces. There's a lot of inefficiency and a lot of bureaucracy. So, you know, what we had before wasn't particularly great. And there's been a lot of improvements with, you know, covering pre-existing conditions and general health overall is good. But, you know, what can be improved upon? That's the question we should all be asking, you know, like going to switching out and replacing a new system, an old system or a new system with a new system. It's probably not the right solution. There's too many moving parts and pieces. And we need to start with like, how about a universal medical billing system? Every single insurance company has a different medical billing protocol. They all have different billing insurance codes. So it's kind of insane when you work in uh, billing, when you go from one company to another, you'll find that, oh, it's a totally different system. You interact with Medicare completely different than you did at this other health insurance company. So there's just a lot of um, logistics going on on the insurance side. And then, of course, for doctors who just want to provide care, they don't know about medical billing. <laughs> it's not their job. They didn't go to school for it. You know, it's practically its own language. So um, if you're thinking like there should just be an easy fix, well, it's a it's a very complicated problem. So there are going to be a lot of complicated solutions. So hang in there. We're in the midst of it. It'll get better. But, you know, with anything new system, it takes time to work out the kinks. So keep and talking about it. People, should, you just need to, you kind of need to take ownership and, and be informed. Again, know what you have. And then don't be afraid to reach out for questions. I mean, again, if there's like, I mean, we're a resource. I don't charge you every time you call to ask <laughs> questions. I mean, try to use the resources you have. I, I mean, we try to make this easier for people because it is a bit overwhelming. But but yeah, the more that you can take ownership of it and there's a potential you can Try to, you know, if MRI, maybe you can look online and compare costs, things like that. You know, it's healthcare is the only thing that we, we go in a doctor's office. We have no idea what that bill is going to be when we walk out. So, you know, do the best you can. But yeah, the more questions you can ask is 
you know, always helpful. Yes, the rise of the financial transparency and medical billing. People are really starting to talk about that now, like being able to be set a price quote. And, you know, it's kind of funny because for lawyers, we typically deal with billable hours all the time anyway, you know, because you never know what the problem is going to look like when you really get into it. And it's the same in in healthcare. You know, if you want to have a surgery, why can't they just flat rate price that and tell you up front? Well, they don't know what's going to go wrong. You're a body. You're a person. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's squishy and gross. That's how I think about it. I don't know what medical professionals think, but I know it's complicated. And I don't know if I would feel comfortable as a medical professional if you just think about it, being able to say with certainty, oh, this is all this is going to cost. I mean, what if you're in there for 20 hours? Um, (laughs) Like you never really know what you're going to get into. So that's why they really don't flat rate that kind of thing. But you can price shop. So, you know, if you're an individual and you're looking at doing a surgery, you're not really obligated to stay at the facility that you're planning on doing your surgery. You can shop around. You can find other physicians that are in network. You can get second opinions. Yes, you're going to pay more money for it. But in the long run, you're going to save money because you're being a really, really great consumer. Education is key. Educate yourself. Find out what your options are and don't just go with what your doctor says. Trust them, but get a second opinion. (laughs) Big fan of second opinions over here, especially for anything complicated. If you've got some kind of a mysterious health issue that you haven't really been able to figure out, and especially if your doctors haven't really been able to figure it out, go run that by somebody else. Just because your family doctor thinks they figured it out and you've started some kind of a treatment or scheduled some kind of a procedure does not mean they got it right. A lot of this stuff is more wishy-washy than you would think it is. A lot of it is a whole lot less determinate than the healthcare system leads you to believe. It's an interesting statistic that I think it's around 9% of the population, if I'm recalling this correctly, about 9% of the population has some type of a disease or condition that's classified as a rare disease or condition. In other words, something that is uncommon enough that there isn't a lot of research on it and it's not common knowledge within the healthcare profession and perhaps there's not a clear route to uh, diagnosis or treatment of that condition. Well, why does 9% of the population have a rare disease? How can that many people have them? Because there are so many rare diseases to choose from. The chances of having any given one might be one in a million. But if there are a million different diseases to choose from, then chances are you've got one of those, right? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if if you've got mysterious, unexplained symptoms, you may need to doctor shop some before you get that figured out. And, And the reason I'm bringing this up is many of the people who contact us regarding a potential malpractice claim are upset with a doctor for not diagnosing their uncommon condition despite repeated visits over many years and a whole bunch of tests. And they say, look, uh, my family doctor really screwed this up. I've been suffering with this disease for 10 years. I've been going to him and complaining and complaining. And he's tried all these tests and put me on these vitamins and gave me these shots and none of it worked. And now I moved and my new doctor says, it's this weird disease that I had never heard of. And he put me on this one pill and I'm fine now. So why did I have to suffer with this for a decade? The answer to that question is you had to suffer with it for a decade because you didn't doctor shop in the first place. (laughs) If you'd been going around town getting a few other opinions on this, perhaps it would have been resolved sooner. But that's not malpractice. You can't expect every doctor to identify every odd condition. It takes a team 
to identify some of this stuff. And it would help an awful lot more people if rather than just taking one professional's opinion for it and sticking with them, they would go out there and uh, get a variety of opinions. See what the whole town has to say about your weird problems. Or two because, people. Yeah, two people is fine. Exactly. <laughs> Although, in your particular case, it took more than two. Yes. We had to shop around quite a bit for you. And we're still not really sure. <laughs> still not 100% sure. <laughs> yeah, so I feel you on the confusion of uh, what's wrong with me, any of the, you who are maybe wondering that. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'll figure it out eventually or I won't. It'll be fine. Just roll with it. <laughs> well, I think the same thing goes, and I'm going to pick on, um, like, my parents believed everything a doctor would say and just assume. So if you take this yeah. drug, you do this, everything they said. I'm sitting, when I started going to appointments with them, I was like, wait, oh, my gosh, what's happening? <laughs> but, Absolutely. Um, you know, you don't have to necessarily take that prescription. You do definitely need to maybe research, see a naturopathic doctor or, or you know, some other experts that maybe there's ways to do things without having to take a prescription. So really, it is up to you. I wouldn't always assume everything, you know, and get that second opinion. I, I totally agree. That's yeah. it. Also, Google your health issues and learn about them. Now, you may hear some people saying things like, don't confuse your Googling with my medical degree. Or my law degree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, sure. Don't believe that you're smarter than all of the doctors in town just because you know how to use the internet. But you do know how to use the internet, so use it. Learn about your medical conditions. Doctors would far prefer to deal with informed patients who know which signs and symptoms are relevant, what conditions are likely, uh, especially if you've got something kind of weird and the doctors are having a hard time. Uh, help them out. Do your own research. Keep journals. Learn about the medications you're taking. Learn about your disease processes. Informed patients do better in the long run and communicate more effectively with their healthcare team. Let me clarify. Do not self-diagnose. Not, not finally, <laughs> but, you know, taking a few stabs at it and coming up with some possibilities can be helpful. Just don't go overboard with it. Um, don't assign yourself all of the weird diseases in the universe just because you've got a few of the symptoms. Uh, you got to be rational about it. But if you're going to the doctor for some kind of a problem, you should probably have a general idea of what the most likely issues are going in there. We have the technology now to make that pretty easy. Yeah, I don't disagree with what you said, but at the same time, I don't completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't freak yourself out too much. <laughs> and yeah, and, and, and make sure you respect what the doctor's saying. And, yes. You know. yes, you're not a doctor. Absolutely. Unless you are a doctor Googling your own stuff, good for you. But if you're not a doctor, uh, do not mistake WebMD for a medical degree. But it is helpful. It's full of useful information. Fun fact, your doctor Googled that stuff too. It's true. <laughs> they use the same internet we do. And we're attorneys. We use Google all the time. Oh, yeah. That's like my uh, first rule of thumb when someone asks me a complicated legal question. It's like, I'm going to answer this for you. But first, I want you to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually not on there. But, you know, I'm just showing off at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, do's and don'ts of medical malpractice claims. So, Mike, when someone has or suspects that they have a medical malpractice claim, I know a lot of people don't understand that um, talking to an a, a attorney doesn't cost them anything if they are concerned about a medical malpractice issue. That is exactly right. Medical malpractice litigation, just like car accident litigation and most other kinds of personal injury, is done on a contingent fee basis. Uh, in almost every single case. So if you have a serious injury caused by the healthcare system, an attorney will front the money to run your case 
and front the money to pay their associates and pay themselves to go through the process, and you will not pay that out of pocket. They will instead take a percentage of the total amount that you obtain as their payment. Uh, And in medical malpractice, in Phoenix, typically that's 40%. That seems like an awful lot. It is an awful lot. That's because it's a huge amount of work to do these cases. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on them and huge amounts of attorney time, both ourselves as partners and also our associates whose salaries we have to pay throughout that entire process. And it typically takes an absolute minimum of two years and typically more like three to five. So these are long-term major commitments, and we view each and every case as a substantial investment. It's a partnership between us and our client, and we know that if we don't succeed, we lose huge amounts of money. And if we do succeed, it's very good for our clients and also excellent for us business-wise. So that's the arrangement, and because that's the arrangement, it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to come with hundreds of thousands of dollars in your pocket in order to sue a doctor who has caused a serious injury to you or your family. Um, it's worth calling, call around town, talk to a number of medical malpractice firms and see what they have to say. Now, sometimes they will ask you to front some money to obtain medical records or an expert review of the case uh, early on. You can decide whether that's right for you or not. Many reputable firms do that, but many do not. Uh, Our firm does not charge clients for review because it's our feeling that If it's a case where we're not comfortable enough spending the several thousand dollars up front to evaluate it, then it's not a case for us. Uh, We need to be very confident in it going in and remain very confident throughout it that it's going to be a good investment for us. So, So we choose to put that money in. Other firms are willing to go through that at your expense in order to give you an overview and and an opinion on the case, uh, even if they perhaps know in advance that they would not necessarily want to commit to it. Um, You can decide if that's something that you're interested in doing. Things not to do if you think you may have a medical malpractice claim, don't get into some kind of a negotiation with the risk management department at the hospital. They're not (laughs) your friends. (laughs) They're not going to help you out. (laughs) Their, Their entire job is explained right there in the name of their department. They manage risk for the hospital. You're a risk to the hospital. Your case is a risk to the hospital. Their whole job is to try to smooth things over and minimize the cost. So they will do everything they can to uh, build defenses early on and obtain all the information uh, that they think they may be able to use against you later to minimize the amount of your damages, to explain away uh, the problems that you're having as being caused by some other medical condition. Uh, Whatever information you give them, they may end up using against you. I have never once heard of a person obtaining a favorable settlement to a medical malpractice claim simply by personally negotiating it with the hospital. Not once. As far as I know, it has not happened. Uh, In our experience, because of the dynamics of insurance uh, and reporting of malpractice judgments and settlements for physicians, these cases take a long time. Uh, And you have to go through most of the litigation process before anyone will settle with you on terms that are favorable. They make you spend the time and the money before they will write the check because they know that all they have to do is stonewall you for a long time and there's a good chance you will just drop out and their problem goes away. So you got to hang in there and it takes a good medical malpractice attorney law firm to keep you in that fight long enough uh, to get where you need to be. So... It's not something to do yourself, and it's not something to 
try to handle in a friendly negotiating manner with the other side. I think the other thing to remember is these things have a limitation on how long you can pursue these claims. So it's really important that if you do feel you are injured or know someone who is injured, that you don't wait to talk to an attorney. Uh, The timelines on these kinds of lawsuits is very, very short. Two years in Arizona is the statute of limitations, and that starts running. That two-year clock starts running on the day that you knew or should have known that you might have a medical malpractice claim. Should have known. The first day that you could have filed that lawsuit. If you had all the all the perfect information lined up, that's the day that clock starts ticking. Now, even worse, uh, if the negligent party is at Banner University Medical Center or the county hospital or any of the other government-operated facilities in Arizona, you must file a notice of claim before you can sue. And that notice of claim has to be submitted within 180 days of when the cause of action accrues or when the negligence occurs. Now, that's getting pretty short. That's short enough Six that you may not even have all the facts in place yet. You, you may, may not even, even have records. You may, yeah, you may not even know you're injured. So you're probably wondering, what is the point of that requirement? Why would the law make you submit this notice? And you have to demand a specific settlement amount, a, a final dollar figure that you've got to put in that notice. Uh, and you've got to submit it to exactly the right person at the right desk uh, in order for it to be effective. Otherwise, you can never sue over it. So what's the point of that law? The whole point is to keep you from being able to sue the government. The only purpose of that law is to take meritorious claims, people who've actually been injured and are entitled to compensation, and prevent them from getting it. That's the point, is to make it hard so you can't do it. Take away, talk to your legislature. Is that an Arizona law? Almost every state has those laws, and the federal government has them for themselves too. Don't like it. Talk to your legislature. That is the government protecting itself <laughs> from you at your expense. Such a downer today, Mike. <laughs> Such Sorry. a downer, man. <laughs> Depressing maybe, stuff. Maybe <laughs> reality's a downer, huh? <laughs> All right. I'm going to get him a Snickers. <laughs> <laughs> Snickers sure and a positive. beer, perhaps. Yeah, I'm sure there's been positive cases that you, of that you could talk about. You know, yeah, so, of course. I mean, that you can't talk about, I guess. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've seen medical uh, collections for the wrong party. You know, I knew this one lady, I represented her, she got sued, and it was $60,000, and it wasn't even her. And the company actually had the social security number of the person that they should have sued, but they sued my client instead anyway. And she told the court that it wasn't her, provided them with a copy of her social security card, and they still entered a a judgment against her. So I was like, no, 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 let's fix this. And we did. But it was dumb that we had to go through that. So um, lots of mistakes happen. So before you give up hope, talk to a professional insurance agent, attorney, bankruptcy attorney. There's so many different resources out there for dealing with medical um, and the healthcare industry. So sorry to knock on all of it today, but it's information you need to know, dang it. So thank you so much for tuning in to Legitimate. Um, thank you to you for being here. So if you'll let our guests know, or I'm sorry, our listeners know how they can reach you. Thank you so much for having me again, Mike and Rochelle. Um, Christine Castle and company is Benefits by Design. Um, if you go to my website, uh, you can make a direct appointment uh, online. Um, the website address is benefitsbydesignaz.com. Um, or I can be reached at Christine, which is K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, at benefitsbydesignaz.com. 
But definitely give us a call at 480-831-7700 also if you don't want to go online. But happy to help. And again, just consultative. There's no fee for a call and we answer all kinds of questions. So don't be afraid to call. Just love to help you out and get through this uh, lovely uh, healthcare system successfully. (laughs) So if you're a small business owner and you are looking at what your options are for healthcare, this is who you call. So go ahead and call now. And Mike, what about medical malpractice? What's the best way to reach your firm? Well, before I plug myself here, I just want to say one more thing about Christine and the importance of getting good health care insurance and yes. working with her or someone like her to do that. We may have had quite a downer of a show today talking about all the issues with this industry and, and with healthcare in general. But I think the takeaway from this is that healthcare is very important to all of us. And because of how difficult the system is to work with and how many problems there are, it's more important than it's ever been to make sure that you're squared away with your insurance coverage and that you've got the best systems in place so that when you do have a healthcare issue, because we all will at some point, you get it taken care of in the best way possible. And the only way to make that happen is to set it up in advance. It's not something you can do after the fact. That's why we have insurance. That's why Christine is here. Uh, And that's why it's important that you get in touch with somebody like her and make sure that you're uh, setting yourself up for the best success you can have in a very difficult system. With that said, I'm Mike Poulton. And if you have already had a bad time in the healthcare system uh, or someone in your family, feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, Our website is pnlaw.pro. That's P like Paul, N like Nancy, L-A-W dot P-R-O. And you can also give us a call at 602-427-5613. That's 602-427-5613. We'll talk to you about your your problem in the healthcare system and see if it is the type of thing that our firm can help you out with. Uh, And if not, maybe give you a little bit of advice on where to go next. Awesome possum. All right. And I'm Rochelle Poulton uh, with Ex-Firm Law, your friendly consumer rights attorney. So that does it for us on Legitimate. And we'll talk to you next time. (laughs) 